What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fellowship of the Redeemed. My name is Ryan, and on today's show, we're going to dig into what I believe the next move of God in the church is going to be. So let's jump right into the show. God done with today's church? Uh, is, is he done with our culture? Has the church really missed it when it comes to the things of God and when it comes to impacting and, and ministering to our culture in a way that brings transformation? And, and I would say that it's yes and no. Uh, I think that when you look at the, the culture that we live in and you look at the, the, the history of the church, we have moved further and further away from the book of Acts and the, the Acts style ministry and moved more and more towards something that's culturally acceptable. And I think that um, in the process of doing that, the church has largely lost the vision of the scriptures. And it has been, uh, it has been both a positive and negative thing in that we have determined how do we build things bigger, um, but in the process of learning how to build things bigger, I feel like the church in some ways has lost sight of what's really important, and, and that's moving in the lives of people. You know, I've had several conversations recently with a lot of pastors in the area, and one of the things that became apparent is the churches that have focused on building ministry have lost sight of building people. And so the church, even though in the, the mainstream perspective of church, it's seen as this big entertainment industry, largely people go untouched. And, and the church is not seen as being this influential, ground-shaking church like it was in the book of Acts. And, and when you look at church history all throughout time, there's been, you know, pockets of time where God moved specifically in a certain way. Like, you know, I studied in, in Bible college about different revivals throughout church history, really powerful characteristics. And we saw God progressively bringing back into the church some of the things that were lost as they got further along in time away from the time of the apostles. And, and so you see things like the, the Welsh revival. and. Uh, the Welsh revival was so powerful because what happened is as God began to move in this community, it was so powerful that people couldn't even walk down the street without falling under conviction of sin. And, and to be really honest with you, I think that this is one of the, the characteristics of a move of God that is present in all of the revivals that I've studied is that there's this inherent conviction for sin. Like there's this desire to know something about why I feel the way that I do. Why, why do I feel so horrible about the things that I've done? And so when we look back at some of these revivals, we see this characteristic kind of the underlying thread throughout all of them, even though in, in like the Azusa Street revival, let's say, uh, we're talking about this was a rejuvenating and renewing of the gifts of the Spirit, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, of, of speaking in tongues. And, and I know there's, there's a ton of controversy that surrounds that gift in particular, but the reality is God was doing something powerful during that season in 1906 when, when this began to happen with the man named William Seymour. Um, it started in these, these meetings that he was having, and all of a sudden the power of God began to manifest. It was so widespread that even the L.A. Times and the news started reporting about these things. And, and so when you, when you look at these moves of God, you see some very unique characteristics to them, but there's some underlying things that remained the same. And one of those things is that these, these people were hungry for God. Like think of the Jesus people movement. These were a bunch of hippies who they were hungry for God. You know, they were, they were in a different alternate lifestyle than what was normally accepted in the church. And the, you know, they came in, God started to move amongst these hippies and started doing some really powerful things to the point where they, they were coming into these churches and the churches were looking at them like they were crazy, but God was doing something so powerful in these churches and in these people, and, and ultimately what happens with human beings is we have this perspective, and a lot of times our perspective is very misguided. Our perspective is that once God starts moving, we want to put systems behind it so that it's repeatable and scalable. We want to take control of everything and begin to move it in a direction where we can manufacture revival, and, and this is what you've seen throughout the, the, the time since the Azusa Street Revival, since the Welsh Revival, uh, you, you see man putting their hand on things that they never had control of in the first place. 
And what I've noticed in my studies of past revivals is that as soon as man, whether it be a pastor or an evangelist or somebody that's running these revival meetings, as soon as they put their hands to it, like literally as soon as they began to try to manufacture what God had done by putting a certain system in place, like if we do these certain specific things, that somehow that's going to bring the same response from God. And I think it's a huge mistake. And I also think that um, we have thought of what revival is based on what our own opinions are. And, and that's another mistake. I think that God moves sovereignly in the way that he deems fit. And every time that God moves, it's in line with scripture. And, and this is something we have to understand. You know, when we look at the landscape of the church today, I, I see this fractured, um, disunified body that can't agree on anything, um, not even on what revival is or how revival happens or or if God is going to move through gifts of the Spirit or, or what this revival is going to look like. And so in, instead of coming to a conclusion on what God is speaking and what God is doing, we've just built bigger buildings. And we've thought, you know, if we build these mega churches, we build these bigger buildings, that this somehow is going to usher in revival. And I, I don't think that that's what God wants to do. I don't think God is looking at a building and saying, man, this building is really big, so I'm going to go ahead and pour out revival there because they're big enough to house it. I don't think that's what it was ever about. Every revival that I've ever looked at had one common core element, and it was people. God is concerned with people. And, you know, when you look at our, our, our landscape in the church, a lot of times churches are focused on building ministry and not building people. And so as a result of that, they, they arrive at these massive ministry machines that are really producing nothing of quality or substance. Yes, we do these events really well, and we, we've made ministry about events and so it's like, oh, we, we get together on a Saturday and we go out and we, we do these things in the community. And I think that the things themselves aren't bad. Um, it's, it's the idea that somehow through this event that the other six days of the week, we don't have to do anything. And that's not how the apostles lived. You know, especially in the culture we live in today, I don't know if you've ever gone out to, to talk to somebody about Jesus, but they have a really unique perspective. Oh, I've heard about Jesus, but, but they've never seen a tangible reality of Jesus in their life. They've never felt the presence of God. You know, they, they've seen the churches on TV. They've seen these ministries showing up on the scene on Saturdays and doing these things. And, and let me be clear, here's a qualifier. I'm not condemning going out on a Saturday and doing ministry. What I'm saying is if Saturday is the sole focus of ministry, we've lost the perspective. And I, and I believe this next move of God that's coming to our culture and coming to our, our world, especially here in America, is it's not going to be focused on the events. It's going to be people-centric. When you look at the book of Acts, everything they did was focused on people. It wasn't focused on building ministry. It was focused on building people. And so I, I really believe with all of my heart that God wants to do something in our communities that is on the people level. It's not on the ministry level. It's not on the church level. I think churches will benefit from it. Churches will grow from it. But that's not the main focus of God. God is not trying to grow the church. God is trying to expand the kingdom. And there's a, a very subtle difference between growing the church and expanding the kingdom. Because a lot of times the perspective of growing a church is that we're growing our denomination or we're growing our set of beliefs. And, you know, we might think that we have the corner on truth or that our theology is the best theology there is. But let's be really honest, we're still human beings subject to our own ideas and preconceptions and notions that we carry into ministry. And so whether it's, it's something that's birthed out of the non-denominational or this denomination, it's not even the point. The point is that God is concerned with people. He wants to populate the kingdom of heaven with people. His greatest desire from when you read the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, his greatest desire is to dwell with his people. And you see it clearly in the Old Testament where he, he commands Moses to build this tabernacle. And if you look at the, the etymology of the word for tabernacle, it means dwelling place. God desired even all the way back to the Garden of Eden. His desire was to dwell 
with his people. He walked in the garden of the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. We see in the Old Testament, he, he dwells in the, the Shekinah glory between the cherubim on the mercy seat. And fast forward from that all the way to the New Testament, we see Jesus manifested as Emmanuel, which is God with us. And then in Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the whole point of the Holy Spirit pouring out was that, that God would make his home in us. And so this demonstration, even until the second uh, coming of Christ, is this idea that God just wants to be with his people. And so I think that in large ways, the church has lost sight of this overarching vision of scripture that God just wants to dwell with his people. And, and God doesn't just dwell with his people on Saturdays when we're doing some uh, ministry event. Yes, he's there, he's present, he's moving, he's doing things. But my point is, I think this next move of God is going to come into the lives of people that just are curious and, and, and want to know, does God really love them? Does he really care about them? And the church and the people of the church that are willing to do whatever it takes to bring that reality into their lives, I think that's where you're going to see revival on a grassroots level. You know, when we look at our culture here in America, the reality is that we're so divided, whether it's politically or culturally or ethnically, wh whatever it is, even within the church, I've seen such huge chasms within the church, whether it's uh, surrounding beliefs or it's surrounding how to do ministry or any of those things. All of those things don't carry the heart of God. Let's be truthful. We want to carry and communicate the heart of God to people in our community. And so how do we do that? How do we get into a place where God can invade our life and interrupt our schedules to the degree that our concern is more so for people and the quality of the relationships that are being built and not the quantity of the relationships that are being built? Because I think if we focus on the quality and we focus on those things, quantity begins to happen. It's a natural byproduct. Uh, but instead, you know, we've got these, uh, like I said before, we've got these huge ministry machines and, you know, they can gather a bunch of people on a Saturday or a Tuesday or, or whatever day of the week it is. And we focus on this event driven ministry. When you look at the lives of the apostles and what they did in the book of Acts, you know, Paul said something really interesting in the book of Acts. He said, look, I have not shunned to declare the whole gospel to you publicly going publicly and from house to house. So Paul was saying, look, this ministry, it was a full-time thing. It wasn't just, hey, you know, we gather on a Sunday and we do our thing and then we go home to our families and then that's it. And we gather back when it's time to do ministry. No, he looked at it as a lifestyle. He's saying, look, whether I'm in public or if I'm, if I'm knocking on doors or if I'm meeting people in the marketplace, the reality is I'm declaring the whole counsel of God to you. This is what the apostles' perspective was. And this is why the scriptures say also in the book of Acts that they turn the world upside down. Because their heart was to bring the gospel into every segment of society. Everywhere they went, they brought the gospel. Everywhere they went, they brought the presence of God. Signs and wonders followed their ministry because their concern was for people. Because they understood that everything that Christ did, he did for people. Christ didn't do that so that we could have all of these, you know, amazing buildings and all of that stuff. Those are great, but they don't take the place of heartfelt ministry towards people. And let's, let's you know, let's tell the truth about that. You know, and, and we let so many things in our culture influence how we approach our relationship with God and how we approach ministering to our community. In, in large ways, I believe that we have depended on the government to supply what the church is supposed to, which is why we see so much division along political lines. Because one person believes the government should be doing this, another person believes the government should be doing that. And I'm not saying that politics are unimportant. I'm just saying that when it comes to the next move of God, politics don't even play a role. They're not even on the spectrum when it comes to those things. Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and render unto God the things that are God's. So, so are we rendering to God the things that are God's or are we rendering to Caesar the things that are God's? And I think if we can answer that question and really honestly say, you know, I am rendering unto God the things that are God's and I'm rendering unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, then we'll really begin to tap into that spirit of revival. Because I believe with all of my heart, when my focus is on Christ and what he's doing in our community and what his interest is in people, 
it's not that politics become unimportant. It's that they take a backseat to the, the things that God is doing and saying. And, and so we, we've taken this 501c3 C3 thing and we've blown it completely up and we've made this the end-all be-all of church. And I'm not saying that having a 501c3 is necessarily wrong. What I'm saying is when our, our, our dependency is on whether or not we have a nonprofit status or, or anything from that perspective, we've missed the perspective that God wants us to have, which is at all costs, no matter what the cost is, sacrificially, we should be ministering to people. And so it, I, look at, I look at the church like a bathtub. And uh, the, the reason I look at church like a bathtub is because somehow over the years, what we've done with evangelism is we've said, you know, we just want to bring people into the church. And that's how we're going to get people saved. And I, I don't think that's the biblical model. Um, and, and, and you've seen this be largely ineffective. I, I know a lot of people who have walked into churches and walked out the same way they walked in. Um, and that's largely because the, the presence and power of God is, is missing from the church. Uh, we don't talk about certain things in the church, things that, that, that matter to, to real individuals that are, that are walking down the street hopeless and bound. And so the reason why I call this the, the church, in, and not every church is this way, but a, a lot of churches that I've been a part of, um, the reason why I call them bathtubs is because it's like we're fishing in our own bathtub. Every Sunday, it's the same people that come in, and we're casting our lures, and we're getting the people in our church excited, but what are we getting them excited about, or what are we getting them excited for? Because the Bible, the one that I read in Ephesians, says that God has created us and crafted us for his glory. And we are his workmanship created for good works, or in the King James, it says unto good works. And so, yeah, we can all gather on a Sunday and we can invite our friends to church, uh, but, but a lot of times what happens is our friends will come to church and they'll hear a message that's full of Christian language, but, but not full of transformation. And then we wonder why our, our communities are the way that they are, why, why people continue to be bound in sin, why they're continuing to suffer the effects of poverty, why they can't find jobs, and, and they're hopeless. And so they turn to drugs and alcohol and suicide and all the different things that plague our communities. And, and then we look at the government and we say, well, you know, the government should be doing something about this. No, that's backwards. We should be doing something about this. Jesus gave us very clear commands to go out and make disciples. And so are, are we making disciples or are we, are we making converts? Are we converting people to our form of Christianity? Or are we just creating more consumers? And, and I don't think that, that the revival that's coming to America, and I do believe a revival is coming to America, um, but I don't think it's going to come in the form of consumer Christianity. I don't think it's going to be a bless me club. I don't think, you know, the, the people that are going to come in during this revival are going to be worried about, you know, whether they can get a million dollars or anything like that. They're going to be more worried about the, the state and the well-being of their soul. And, and so they can say, it is well with my soul. Um, and and it's, it's a different kind of ministry that produces that. When I read the book of Acts, I see a church that, yes, there were some large churches. In fact, you know, the church at Jerusalem was a pretty good-sized church. And, and from, from my studies of history, uh, church history, I, I saw that, you know, the church at Ephesus was a pretty good-sized church. And so was uh, the, the um, and so was the church at Rome. And so I'm not saying that if you have a big church or if you're a part of a big church that it means that you're in the wrong place. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that I don't believe that God is focusing in this next season on big churches. I believe that God is focusing on broken people. And, and when I read the book of Acts, this is what I see. I see that even though that the, these churches were growing and they were getting bigger, they were still involved with the community on the micro level. You know, there's some movements out there right now, uh, one in Florida that has, you know, over 300 micro churches in this movement that was birthed out of 50 college students. And, and they're reimagining what church looks like on the micro level. Because if you think about it, one of the hardest things to do in a big church is disciple everybody. And so what a lot of churches do when they're, they're larger in size is they create this idea of life groups or small groups or home Bible studies. Um, and, and so that's a way to um, continue to minister 
to that population that maybe is too big for a pastor to minister to one-on-one. It, it is a, a mathematical and, and um, it's just impossible to have a concept of one pastor discipling a church of a thousand people or more. Um, and, and so that's why they bring pastors on staff. And, and it's, it's really difficult. I'm, I'm not saying that it's ineffective completely. I'm just saying it's really difficult to do ministry that way. And then at the same time, while you're having to focus on discipling this massive amount of people, how do you mobilize a thousand people? How do you mobilize 5,000 people or 10,000 people? And when I look at the book of Acts, what I see is people who were on mission with God seven days a week, wherever they were, whether it was in their homes, whether it was in the marketplace, their focus was bringing the gospel to bear in their community and in their society, meeting the needs practically, spiritually, emotionally, and physically of the people in their communities. And, and they were effective. This is what's so crazy. This, these fishermen, these little rebel fishermen were so effective in doing what God called them to do. And they didn't have church programs. They didn't have massive buildings. They didn't have any of the stuff we did. In fact, a lot of the ministry they did, they did on foot and by word of mouth. But we're so advantaged over them when it comes to the ability to communicate the gospel. We've got, you know, many computers in the palm of our hands that we can use to communicate the gospel. We've got vehicles and planes and all the different things that we can use to travel. And yet I find all of us all in one place on a Sunday gathering together to uh, go and, and hear about the great power of God, but then largely see it ineffective in our community Monday through Saturday. Why is that? And, and I think it's because we've lost the heart of Scripture that talks about being interest, more interested in people than we are in ministry for the sake of ministry. So what are we doing? Are we discipling people? Are we mobilizing people on a micro level? Because here's what I've realized. I've realized if we, can, if we can influence and move people on a micro level, it begins to grow, especially as we talk about planning for multiplication. It begins to grow and the movement takes, takes on a massive scale. And, and here's the thing. When you look at what Christ did, he took 12 people and turned the whole world upside down. Millions and millions of Christians came out of a movement that started with 12 people. And so what makes us think that somehow we've gotten to a point where we know how to do it better than Jesus and that if we get enough people together that we'll have enough of an impact? Well, the reality in the church, if you look at John Maxwell and, and other you know, great influential leaders in the church have always said that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So that means 20% of your congregation is doing everything. And this is why people get burnt out. This is, this is why ministry is largely ineffective because you can't mobilize massive amounts of people. But if you influence and train and raise up leaders to go out into the community and begin to influence on a micro level, you have just expanded the power of your organization exponentially. The law of explosive growth. And, and I really think that part of the reason why the mainstream church has failed when it comes to moves of God and when it comes to bringing transformation to their society is because they have failed in discipleship. They have failed in mobilizing a segment of their church to lead and do the same things that they're doing on a macro level, on a micro level. If we can teach people how to be disciplers, how to be influencers, and I don't mean social media influencers. That's definitely part of it. I'm not, I'm not casting aside the, the importance of social media. What I'm saying is if we can raise up leaders within the body of Christ that go out into the community and influence their neighborhoods, influence their workplace, influence the marketplace, influence the stock market, influence in government, if, if we can raise up a body of believers that has this heart that says, you know what, I, I want to be an influencer for the kingdom of God. I want to be I want to be a fire starter, right? I don't just want to look for a position in the church because let, let's, let's look at this from an objective point of view. When you come into a large church, a lot of times there is nowhere for you to really exercise your gifts. And so you, you might be told, well, you can lead in worship. You can sing on the worship team. Um, you can do kids ministry. You can do a, you know, champions club. Um, we've got an event based ministry that goes out on Saturdays. You can help out with that. And there's lots of places for you to get in and serve, but there's not a lot of room for you to really expand and grow and be the leader that God's called you to be. And I think that's, we've hamstrung the church by limiting things to within the four walls of the church. 
you know, if we revamped our perspective of ministry and said, you know what, it's not about this building. Let's start doing stuff in the community. Let's, let's change the way that we do Bible studies. Let's, let's look at Bible studies instead of it being a consumer based thing. Let it be a discipleship thing that's focused on mission. And this is where I think the church has failed. We've, yes, we've done well with, with small groups. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of small groups all over the United States and really all over the world. But these small groups are still focused on doing the exact same thing that the bigger church is doing, which is just consuming. There's no motivation to go out and multiply. There's no motivation to step out and begin to influence the community in a way that the apostles did having prayer meetings and, and going out and ministering on the streets. And no, not everybody's an evangelist, but we're all called to evangelize. In fact, Paul told Timothy, he says, do, he was a pastor, told him, do the work of an evangelist. And so I think that as a church, in a lot of ways, we failed our communities because we've made everything consumer-based about, you know, um, what can God do for you instead of saying, God, what can I do for you? We've flipped the scriptures on their head. And, and it's not to say that there's not good preaching or sound teaching in the church. There is, and there's some amazing churches that are leading the way in some of the things that I'm talking about. But I, I really feel with all of my heart, the churches that figure this out and say, you know what, we, we, haven't, been, we haven't been going about this right. We need to get outside the four walls. We need to not just be event-based. Events are important, but they're not the end-all, be-all of ministry. We need to get into the community and plant these groups that are able to minister in a way that the larger church cannot. Events will never take the place of one-on-one -on -one ministry. They'll never, they, they might be a, a, a precursor that leads to it. You might be able to get in through an event, building relationship, and uh, ultimately leave behind some things that, that minister on a micro level that really get to the heart of things because let's, let's be truthful. People are, people are committing suicide at an alarming rate. We've got people that are bound in drug addiction because their lives are so broken and, and full of wreckage. And they go untouched by the church because the church is gathered on a Sunday inside a building. And please hear my heart. I'm not saying that we shouldn't gather in a, in a building on a Sunday. We should. But that shouldn't be the measure of our Christianity. We shouldn't measure our Christianity by how many people we have inside of our church. And, and one of my guests that I'm going to bring on in the, in the coming days, um, he, he once said in a message, in fact, it was the first message that I ever heard from him. He said, the power of a church is not in its seating capacity, but in its sending capacity. We have to be a sending church. And I believe that this next move of God is gonna be a sending movement. It's gonna be a move where God begins to send people all over the community to do things that need to be done, to minister to people that need to be ministered to. We, we've lost sight of discipleship. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, go into all the world and make converts. Convert them to your form of Christianity. Convert them to your idea of church. No, he said, go make disciples. And there's a difference between a convert and a disciple. A disciple is enrolled. In fact, the real definition of discipleship from the Bible's perspective is a person that's enrolled as a student of a teacher. And so when we say we're disciples of Christ, we're enrolled as students of Christ. We are literally following his ways and his teachings. And this is what Jesus told him. He said, not only are you going to make disciples, but you're going to teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Any promise, I'm going to go with you. I'm not sending you out alone. I'm going to go with you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we have to get to a point where our heart is for the truth of the scriptures and the reality of discipleship over everything else. It has to be. Above all, I want to see the things of God manifested in other people's lives more than I want to be in a big church. I'm not advocating for the big church to dissipate or go away. Um, what I am advocating for is the big church to think on a micro level. 
I, I think that the sooner that the church at large begins to capture the heart of God and say, you know, we need to have a big church with a micro church mentality. We have to figure out how are we going to get into our community on a micro level and focus on these intimate one-on-one relationships. How are we going to come alongside of businesses that are failing because of COVID-19 restrictions and really support them? And this is where I really believe that the, the big mega churches and the larger churches have an essential function to play in this next move of God. I really believe that the churches that have a heart to become a resource center to help these movements be resourced and funded and, and fueled with people and supported in prayer. I really believe that the churches that have the heart to become the, the military base for these outposts of ministry are, are going to experience an explosion of the spirit. They're going to experience the, the power of God in ways that, that I don't think anybody's seen ever in our culture, except for maybe in China and the underground church and some places in Africa. But I really think that the larger churches, if they can capture this heart and says, you know, I want to be a big church on a micro level, uh, they're going to really see the move of God happen. And and churches can shift their focus by, by changing their perspective of everything that they do. Instead of being consumer based, be mission based. Become a missional church, a church that's focused on being on mission with God, letting your people create and and, uh, come up with ideas for how to reach their community. You'd be blown away at the creativity that lies untapped in the church. You know, and and the the society we're in with COVID-19 happening and everything else that's going on, everybody's in fear, and including in the church. You have a lot of people in the church that are fearful. (coughs) And so when you, when you look at everything that's going on, it's saying, well, how do we overcome? How do we become a light that shines in a dark place? That's what we're called to be, a, a city on a hill. Is our church a city on a hill? A light that can't be hid, that gives light to everything around it. Or are we just the status quo church that has amazing worship and a really great church experience, but then when people leave Monday, Monday through Saturday, they don't hear from anybody in the church? I don't know how many times I've been approached by pastors when I share my testimony. They say, you know, I had no idea that that was your story. Well, it's because you're, you're not interested in people. You're interested only in, in expanding your ministry or your influence. And, and I say that because it's true. Selfish ambition closely linked to and related to pride is a destructive thing. And, and I've known many pastors with this perspective. And, and I don't say that to condemn. I say that because it's a reality and things have to change. If we really want to see a move of God in our community, we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We have to stop exalting ourselves or exalting our ministries and focus on that, that grassroots trench style ministry that goes into where hurting people are hurting and ministering to them, reaching them where they're at. Stop being focused on bringing people into the church and being focused on bringing the church into people. And it's not, I'm not saying bring your doctrine to people. I'm saying bring the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. Get them into an encounter with Jesus right where they are. How many people won't even come to church, but if we continuously show up in their neighborhood and and have conversations with them and begin to build relationships with them and minister to them, will they open up and ultimately receive the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think if we have this mentality and we say, you know, in this process, we're going to plan for multiplication. I'm going to take these, these idea of small groups and I'm going to make them missionally focused. I'm going to begin to transition how my small groups meet and make them missionally focused. And I'm going to teach their leaders how to raise up more leaders out of their own little community and to go and plant more small groups that are missionally focused. And I'm going to teach my leaders how to lead in a way that creates opportunity for other people to get involved. We have to get away from this idea that one person runs the show. You know, the Bible has a five-fold ministry of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher for a reason. There's a reason why some people have a pastoral leaning or some people have an evangelistic leaning when it comes to their leadership style. And that's because it was never designed for one person to run the show. It was always supposed to be leadership by committee, not leadership by dictator. And I think that the church grows exponentially when you read Ephesians 4, the church grows exponentially when everybody does their part. 
And it's easier in a smaller setting to have everybody feel like there's room for them to exercise their gifts. There's room for their voice to be heard. There's room for them to lead out of the capacity which God has given them to lead out of than there is in a large church where all the positions are filled. And, and again, large, large church has its place. I think God is going to use these large churches that, that have a heart and really want to see revival, I think he's going to use these places to really get people on fire for the micro movement. And I think the churches that miss this message and they don't get on fire for the micro movement, they're going to continue trying to build up their walls and build up their, their church in a way that isn't honoring to God and it's honoring to their church. And they might see some growth, but it's not going to be anything of substance. It's not going to affect their community. We have to get away from this idea that in order for transformation to happen, people have to come inside the walls of the church. And we have to get into this idea that in order for transformation to happen, the people inside the walls of the church have to get into the community. We need Christian business owners to start businesses that influence their community. We need, we need people to go out. We need Christian car salesmen. We need, we need Christians to be everywhere with the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, the Bible says, to get out into the community and really affect change on a micro level, on a grassroots level. And I think that if we can do that, if we can say yes to God and, and figure out how God wants to do that and strategize together and make room for all these untapped talents and gifts, we will see a move of God like they saw in the book of Acts. I am certain of it. And, and the other thing I, I really, uh, it breaks my heart is where's the praying church at? You know, we, we come up with all these ideas for ministry, but where are the prayer meetings? Where are the leaders that are getting down on their knees and spending time before God, asking him to do things in the community that only he can do to give us strategies and ideas. Let's not minimize the power of prayer. But we've gotten away from that because it's not popular. It's the ugly part of Christianity for a lot of people. And that's what the devil would want us to think, that somehow praying isn't the most important thing. Go study these revivals, man. Go, go look through uh, the Azusa Street Revival. Go look at the Welsh Revival. Uh, go, go look at the, the Reformation. And go look at the, the writings of these people like Martin Luther and William Seymour and, and all these people that were instrumental in, in being used by God these tremendous men and women of God, one thing was common to all of them. They were praying people. They got on their knees before God. They spent time with the Lord. And as a result of it, God had their heart. He had their ear. And so therefore, when they spoke, it dripped and oozed with the power of God. And, and I, I largely think that a lot of times today, we've got great orators, people that can preach, but there's no anointing. And it's not because what they're saying is untrue. It's because they're not spending time on their face before the king of kings. Some of the most powerful people I've ever met in my life couldn't preach a lick. But man, they could pray. So we have to get back to the place of prayer. We got to get back to the weeping zone where our hearts are more broken for people than we are for the fact that maybe our church isn't growing like we thought it should. You know, I, this is what I've seen. I've seen people more broken over the fact that their ministry isn't growing than over the fact that people are dying and going to hell. That is so backwards. That is so backwards. The apostles never worried about the size of ministry. Nowhere in the scriptures does it ever say anything about the size of your ministry, but everywhere it says something about the condition of people. And this might be the most important thing that we ever listen to and get a hold of is that God is more concerned with the condition of people than the condition of your ministry. Because if you think about it, right, if I'm more focused on the condition of people, then my condition of ministry will be so much better. Because if I'm focused on that, then I'm right smack dab in the center of the will of God for my life and for theirs. And so, so we, we got to get back to praying. And I know it's not the most enjoyable thing, but that's because our perception of prayer is wrong. It should be the most wonderful place for us to be on earth, more so than even gathering in church on Sunday. Why would I want to gather in church on Sunday above praying when I can be with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords right there where I am praying? 
And so my, my plea and my cry to the church, if any of you are listening, we got to get back to praying and asking God to move in our community to raise people that are sick, to, to raise them out of their, their deathbed, to raise them out of spiritual blindness, to combat against the lies of the enemy. Man, the enemy is running rampant in our society with lies. The media is lying. Churches are lying. Pastors are lying. I mean, let's, let's be truthful. Non-Christians are lying. Atheists are lying. Everybody's, everybody's lying, and, and we're, we're feeding on it. And instead of combating the lies in prayer and saying, God, let your truth come to bear in this lying-soaked society, we're, we're trying to combat against the lies with our own words. We need a divine strategy from the Holy Spirit, divinely given and sovereignly moved upon by him. And that's where we'll see the destruction of all of this stuff. You know, it reminded me in, in the Psalms, it says, unless the Lord lays the foundation, they labor in vain. Unless God is laying the foundation for all of these things, we labor and build in vain. We seek for revival in vain. Read the book of Acts. Look at what they did. I think that we would do well to just say, you know, this is what we're going to do in our church today. We're just going to copy what they did in the book of Acts. We're going to have prayer meetings. We're going to meet from house to house. We're going to talk publicly. We're going to go into the marketplace. Some of Paul's greatest success in ministry was in Corinth, a metropolis city, a marketplace. And some of his greatest success in ministry was in Corinth. In fact, God told him, stay in the city. I have many people there. And so as he stayed in the city and he planted this church, it was all birthed out of marketplace ministry and house to house ministry. And, you know, we have this formula for church planting. You know, I, some of these mega churches, you'd be shocked to know how they planted their church. They send a, they send a team in. And uh, when this team comes in to this, the prospective city where they want to plant a mega church, they survey the people. And when they survey the people, they say, hey, things like, uh, last, when was the last time you went to church? What did you like or dislike about it? What kind of music do you like or dislike? And then they take all of their responses and then they plant a church that's crafted towards the majority of people and what they said. And then they put some young 20-something pastor with no theological depth or understanding of the scriptures in place because he, he looks cool and is hip. And next thing you know, within a year, they've got 15,000 members. And this is, this, is, this is what they do time and time again. It's why you see mega churches popping up all over the place. But it's also why you see the moral fall of so many leaders. They lack the substance and the depth. They have no heart after God. And they, they planted this church out of popularity and not out of the, the scriptures. I'll tell you, the fastest way to run people out of your church is start preaching the truth. Fastest way to see people leave an organization is start talking about holiness. The, the smallest meeting that you'll ever have is a prayer meeting. Those things shouldn't be so, but they are. And so the, the question is, is how do we, in, in, that, in that environment, how do we come into this and say, God, we want to see you move and we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to get down in the trenches on the micro level and minister to every single person that you send our way. It's not about what people like and don't like. It's about what God is saying and doing. And, and we've, we've missed it. But I take heart because, I, I mean, I'm excited. Like, in spite of everything, I know, I know that maybe some of the things I've said sound really negative towards the church in America. I love the church in America. Let me be very clear. I, I just think that there's some things that are happening within the church that aren't in line with the scriptures, but it's, all hope isn't lost. And that's the whole point. The whole reason why I felt like God put this on my heart to do a podcast talking about the next move of God is because I really believe there is still hope. There is still an opportunity for the church to get on board with what God is doing and begin to really see transformation in their cities, to really see the poor ministered to, to really see young teenagers who are, are traveling down a wrong road ministered to and reached in their youth before they ever get to the point like I was heading off to prison for nine and a half years. My, my point is mentorship and discipleship and having a plan and letting people step up and, and organize ministry in the micro community, you'll begin to see macro changes. 
And I don't think it's too late, but I I do think there will come a time. I I believe it with all of my heart. There will come a time where God will draw a line in the sand and it will be choose this day whom you're going to serve. And every pastor in the land is going to have a choice to make. They're either going to go God's way or they're going to go their own way. And when they go their own way, it's going to be the ruin of their church. It's going to be the ruin of the people in their church. I I think there's going to be massive divisions and splits within the body of Christ because pastors refuse to submit to the will of God. And it's unfortunate, but I really believe that these things will happen and have to happen. In fact, Paul even kind of hinted around this when he he said in 1 Corinthians that there has to be factions among you so that you can see who's approved. You know, I said when I came home from prison that I thought that America was headed towards um, becoming like a third world country as it relates to the gospel. I really still believe that. I have this conviction in my heart that, that we're seeing the birth pangs of a third world country as it relates to the gospel. There's so many organizations out there that absolutely hate Jesus. They hate the Bible. They hate anything to do with spirituality as it relates to Christianity. Oh, they're all for Islam and all the other religions, but when it comes to Christianity, because the real Christianity condemns those types of lifestyles, they hate it. And they're trying to enact laws to to make it so the church can't continue to do what it had done before. And you see it a little bit with COVID and and the bands and saying, well, you can't sing in church or you can only have this many members or you have to close your doors. Uh, All the different restrictions that have come down. Those are precursors. Those are little tremors of what's coming to America. And And I believe God is going to allow this because the church is asleep. The church is asleep. Just imagine if the church woke up and began to realize who we are, what our inheritance is, the authority that we carry, the power of God that operates in the lives of believers. Imagine what we could do in this culture, regardless of COVID-19 or anything else. The devil doesn't want anything to do with a woke church. He wants the church to stay asleep. But the, the testimony of scripture is awake from slumber, You who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine his light on you. That is the testimony of Scripture. And so that's what we're called to do is to wake up, see the culture, see what's happening. Look at the times and the seasons that we're heading into. Be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let's go into the community and begin to affect change in a way that people can feel and know and be near the presence of God. Stop making it so hard for people to know Jesus. And I do think we're headed for a time where um, the gospel is going to be outlawed. And that if you want to preach the truth, you will come under heavy fire and persecution. And I I don't think a lot of churches are worried or concerned about this because they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about homosexuality and abortion in their church because of their 501c3 or because they don't want to offend people. Like there's a lot of reasons why churches aren't even concerned about the landscape that we live in. Because it doesn't affect them. They can continue to do the things they do and be the self-help church, you know, and still function and have all their money rolling and all of that stuff happening. But, but the churches that really want to do the will of God and really preach the truth as it is written in the scriptures will find themselves at odds with the government. They will find themselves at odds even with mainstream Christianity. I don't know how many times over the last uh, several months that I've interacted with other Christians and they're like, you know, why don't you just fall in line? Why don't you wear your mask? Why don't you socially distance? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And, and the judgment that comes across in those things is mind boggling. And, it, and it's not even, a lot of these people, I don't even know them. I just, I interact with them on Facebook and they, maybe they see, you know, um, a message that went out on Facebook at church and they're wondering why we're not socially distanced at church or, or any of those things. And the judgment that comes across and the hypercriticism that comes across is absolutely mind boggling. And it's because they have no concept of the truth. They have no concept of the things of God as the, the Bible presents them. They have no concept of the authority that we carry in Christ and the power of God that's manifest in the life of someone who's submitted to him in all things. And so I really believe that we're headed to a time where God is going to begin to do things on a micro level in a very large scale. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm saying what God is going to do is going to be small. I'm saying that God is going to focus on the micro level, on the individual lives that need Jesus and, and the churches that really catch this fire and this passion to say, we're going to go out in a micro way into the community. We're going to network. We're going to spread out like a net 
That's what the Bible talked about. Evangelism was like a, a, a dragnet that caught all sorts of different types of fish. And I, I think that's the kingdom of God. And that's what God is doing is he's, he's casting this net out. And this net is all these micro churches that are functioning under these resource centers, these main hub churches that are supplying them with people and resources and prayer and leadership and training. And as they go out into the community, they're going to see tremendous tremendous influence. They're going to see tremendous moves of the Holy Spirit. I really believe that there's going to be miracle signs and wonders that are coming out of these micro movements, and it's going to be so big. People are going to catch it, and the ones that get on board, I, I promise you this, this is a certainty in my spirit, the ones that get on board will see God use them in ways they never imagined. And so I'm, I'm excited, like, uh, to be really honest with you, I'm super excited about what God is speaking and what he's doing in this season. I just really hope and pray that, that these pastors and churches get on board with what God is doing and they, they get back into the scriptures and they see, you know, what God is, is saying in the book of Acts and, and in other places in the scriptures and they begin to model their church after that. So next episode, I'm going to be meeting with Dr. John Harris, who um, is a, a friend of mine and a, a tremendous voice in this micro church movement. He is uh, tied in with some really powerful organizations that are focused on this smaller dynamic of, of reaching our community. And I'm so excited about this opportunity to sit down and talk with him. Um, he, he holds such high esteem and respect in my eyes. He's been a, a tremendous influence to me. And I can't wait to, to share what he has to say regarding this. And some of his thoughts are so insightful and he's hilarious. You guys are going to, are going to have so much fun with him. And so I am so grateful for you guys tuning into the show. Don't forget, help us out, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. It really helps us in the ratings. And I want more than anything for this podcast to climb the charts so that people can hear the conversations of Fellowship of the Redeemed. They can hear the interviews so people can hear what God is saying in this society. And here's the reality. Like, I don't have it all figured out, but we're going to talk about it. I'm going to bring people on that are smarter than me and can have uh, conversations about some of these things that, that we want to address. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, my listeners. You guys are awesome and amazing. Your support is incredible. Please promote it. Tell your friends about this, pro this podcast. Tell them, bring 20 friends. Let's get this conversation started. I'm so grateful. Until we meet again, I'm out.